We are uh, going to look at a passage of Scripture this morning. Do you have your Bibles? What's a Bible? You, you have it on your phone, don't you? Yeah, that's the sort of people we are nowadays. It's all on the phone. Um, if you could open your Bible to Luke chapter 8. Uh, we're going to look at, um, uh, that based on that song, I'm just going to go with that song just now, The Storms of Life. Anyone know the history of that song? It is well with my soul. You don't know the history of it? It's tragic. Are you ready, are you ready for, for a cry on Thanksgiving? This is actually a true story. The guy who wrote that had tragedy throughout his life, but the worst thing happened that his family were crossing the Atlantic by boat. The boat sank. Most of his family died on it. And he wrote that song afterwards. And so in the middle of a storm, in the middle of a down, when we, you and I think, oh, forget it. Where's God in all this? This guy turned to God, sought his face, and got the peace of God that transcends all understanding. That's from Philippians chapter 4. It's a challenge, isn't it? But this is the big God we serve. This is the God who in the middle of the mess says, I'm with you. I'll never leave you, never forsake you. I'm on your team, as it were. So, before I say anything more, let's, uh, should we pray together? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your spirit-inspired, inerrant Bible. We're so grateful that you've given it to us, that that is a, a rock on which we can stand and, and know that where the truth is there, as Pastor Eddie just said, the truth then we can hold that, we can take it to the bank, we can be rest assured that your word is unchanging. So this morning we come here on a Thanksgiving day, but we come with our challenges. And those of us who are feeling challenged in the storms of life, we pray that we would hear a word of comfort. But there are also some of us here, Lord, who've got comfortable. We're coasting a bit. And we give you permission, Holy Spirit, this morning to challenge us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Luke chapter 8, uh, just a few verses, uh, verses 22 to 25. So if you'd like to follow along, if you've got a Bible there, I'm using the New International Version, the British one, by the way. I thought I'd just use a British one. It's only, the only difference is the spelling, and you, you can't see the spelling, but you know. This is how it goes. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he, that is Jesus, fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where's your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. Okay, so are there a few, anyone here a thrill seeker? You're sort of the person who says, let's jump out of a plane, and you go, yeah, how high? Yeah, is a parachute an optional extra? Are you that sort of person? If the waves are big, you're on top of them? Okay, anyone like me which says solid ground is my, is my scene, okay? 
Yeah, the, the thumbs up at the back over there. Now, storms, have you ever been, I, I drove through a hurricane once, not intentionally, the weather forecaster said we don't get hurricanes in England, it's a famous statement, we all drove through it and realized afterwards, we get hurricanes in England, okay, unless you are these crazy thrill streakers, storms are, are really scary, okay, um, but we learn lessons in the storms of life that are actually quite helpful. So, a recurring challenge through the Bible is that when you face a storm, what are you going to do? And you can see this from Abraham right the way onwards. Here's the question the Lord wants us to face. Will I protect you and will I provide for you? Two key questions, aren't they? Storm hits, whatever it might be, could be a financial issue, could be a health issue, could be a work issue, could be a relational issue, or could be just, you know, literally a physical thing. Will you protect me in this storm? And will you provide for me? And if we trust that he will do those two things, we discover that God is a faithful, promise-keeping, covenant-keeping God. In other words, he will if we trust him. And every single generation from Abraham onwards, and in fact, before that, Noah had to trust him. He built a boat when there was no water around, you know. Um, every single generation has had to learn that, that challenge for themselves, that truth. Will we do it? There's no shortcut. Jesus' disciples, in that reading I've just given to you, they had to learn it in the middle of a physical storm. That's incidentally why three of the four prayer requests on the Lord's Prayer the second part, are about Lord providing and protecting. Give us a day of daily bread. Don't lead me into temptation. Protect me from evil. We, we're always asking for the Father's provision. So again, I'm going to uh, just go back to that story. If you haven't got your Bible, you have to memorize it. But I want you to notice that the first thing about this storm that should strike you and me is Jesus led these disciples into the storm. Did you notice that bit? He said to them, let us go over to the other side of the lake. The disciples didn't come up with that plan. Jesus came up with the plan. So do you think that Jesus knew what he was getting them into? Show of hands. Do you think Jesus knew that? Or do you think Jesus was like, I have no idea. I'm, I'm a carpenter. Don't look at me. What do you think? Show of hands. Do you think Jesus knew? I, I just put your hand up if I was you, and you know you're going to get something right for the morning. All right, Jesus knew what was going on. Right? Didn't take him by surprise. What was interesting was his disciples, they had no idea. They were taken. And remember, some of them are fishermen. They knew that lake like the back of their hand. They were really familiar with it, but they didn't expect a storm of that magnitude. Because if they had, and we know these disciples by now, they'd have gone, hey, Jesus, not a good idea. Okay, you're the carpenter, we're the fishermen, don't do it. Any of you familiar with the Sea of Galilee? Anyone know where it is? <laughs> okay, it's, it's, a, it's a lake. They call it a sea because they can, all right? Um, and it's, a, it's about 20, 21 kilometers, something like that uh, long, and it's about 11, 10, 11 kilometers wide. But what makes the Sea of Galilee different and, and, and extraordinary is that it's, it's, it's a 200 plus meters below sea level. So it's a long way down. 
But on, on one side of it, I think it's the east side, it's got hills that rise about 600 metres above sea level. So if my math is near enough correct, there's about an 800 plus metre drop. And so when the wind comes up and it sort of goes around there, it rushes down these hills, hits the Sea of Galilee, which is relatively shallow, and you get violent storms. Okay, that's what happens. And they're unexpected. So that was what was taking place. And these fishermen are like, what is going on? Now, when a serious trial or, or, or storm hits you, how do you respond to that? I've heard some people, they've said, the Lord didn't cause that storm. He allowed it to take place. Have you heard that one? Now, others have said, oh, Satan did that. Satan did that one. Satan caused that tragedy. It wasn't God. What's going on here? It seems to me that people are trying to, to save God. We don't want God to get his egg on his, on his face. We don't want God to be to blame for something awful that's taken place. And so if that's the case, we better blame somebody else. Uh, and that, if you do that, by the way, and I know why you might think of doing it, we don't want God. I mean, what are my friends? I'm trying to tell my friends that this God is amazing, and then this happens, and he's to blame for it. I don't want that, so, so I'm trying to protect him. But the danger of doing that is that your God has now become not powerful enough to prevent the storm. He's not powerful enough to stop the tragedy. You've actually lessened our almighty God. With good intention, but that's the mistake we made. So we, we lessen God's sovereignty. We make him less than almighty. God is unashamed. You read through the scriptures, and he says, no, no, I actually, I actually in charge. I cause these things. You read the book of Job, and you'll know that behind that is God giving permission for Satan to do it. But he's in charge. He limits what's going on. You look at the, 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 the people of God who are going to exile. He uses these foreign nations. But he warns them ahead. I'm in charge. They'll do that. And they'll get their comeuppance later. A couple of interesting verses from Isaiah. Do you say Isaiah or Isaiah? Which, are you correct or incorrect? I mean, which one do you say? Oh, I'm so sorry for you. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll correct you. Isaiah. Isaiah. Chapter 45, 6 and 7. Listen to this. This is God speaking. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form the light and create the darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. God's only up to this. I, the Lord, do all these things. So don't you dare, don't you dare diminish my sovereignty don't you dare make me less than almighty. In my experience, just personally, but also as a pastor, I've, I can tell you, you'll never find any comfort in your trials by denying God's sovereignty. You'll never, you never will. You'll only find comfort when you affirm both God's absolute holy sovereignty and his unfailing holy love. Two go together. Now, storms teach us about life, and this storm does that. So one of the things we learned from this storm that the disciples faced was it came out of the blue. It came 
unexpectedly, and it walloped those disciples. That can happen, can't it? At the beginning of last month, I've forgotten what it was, a Wednesday at the beginning of last month, I got up my normal time, and I, I, I had breakfast, I, I had my Bible study. It was about 11 o'clock in the morning. I stood up, and my whole world changed at that moment. I couldn't stay standing. I got cold sweats. I started vomiting everywhere. My wife was very concerned, couldn't move me, called an ambulance. They thought I was having a stroke. Everything was just crazy. And I got on the ambulance. The paramedics were brilliant. And they quickly ascertained and said, you're not having a stroke. We can tell you that. Uh, and then they, they figured out I had vertigo. And I have vertigo. You've had it. Okay, I'm giving you so much empathy. All right? If you haven't had vertigo, don't try it. Okay? Just go without the experience. It's awful. Okay. My whole life at that moment changed. All my plans for that day, that week, out of the window. I couldn't do anything apart from sit in a chair, bring up whatever was left of any food, and, think, and feel miserable. And don't move your head. Whatever it is, do not move your head. Really strange. They came out of nothing. Came out of nothing. You and I don't know what, what this afternoon's going to bring, let alone six months down the road. So we need to be prepared. These things can happen. Best way to be prepared is to be ready in advance, to have your heart right, rather than wait for it to happen, then go, oh, what do I do? Storms, therefore, test and develop our character. Have you noticed that when you're in a storm, your character gets tested and is also revealed to others? This is the slightly scary bit. I said to my wife afterwards, did I say or do anything that was embarrassing, apart from, you know, vomiting everywhere? Did I say something? She said, no, no, you were pretty cool. I mean, it was like you didn't... I thought, that's a relief. Um, Here's the thing, I, I never got my coffee, Eddie, but I won't you know, bump you on that one. But imagine that Eddie had, uh, Pastor Eddie, sorry, sorry, Pastor Eddie had given me a coffee, okay? It's full one, because he's very generous like that, you probably noticed. And I'm walking along my full cup of coffee, and, and someone bumps into me. What happens? You're right, coffee goes everywhere. Um, what happens then, same thing, when, when you get bumped into? You're going through life, somebody goes whack gets you. It might be physical, but it might also be um, any other way when they say something that is, is, is unkind or, or, or thoughtless, whatever. What will spill out of you when you get bumped, when you get bumped in the sp uh, storms of life, is what's inside you. That's what comes out. You, you, you say, I wish it was something else, but that wasn't there. What comes out is what's in there, inevitably for better or for worse. So you've got to get your, your character right before it takes place. Otherwise, you'll do one of these things that we see all these politicians doing a lot, and other people too. Oh, whoops, I don't know where that came from. Oh, that, or that, what's the great line? That's not the real me. And everyone who knows them goes like, that is the real you. You just kept it away from the public. And what we're actually saying is, I can't believe that I, I, I opened up like that and you saw inside. Cover it up quickly, apology that I don't mean, and then we'll pretend that I'm fine. Get ready beforehand. Develop your relationship with the Lord now. Deepen it now in the calm times. Then you'll be able to trust him.
So storms hit suddenly. Storms hit believers. That's important to see, isn't it? Sometimes we, we've been told the lie that if you become a Christian, everything's smooth and wonderful. And then we get this shock when something goes wrong, and then we get some unhelpful person saying, oh, well, that's because you're very sinful. That's because you're not very good. That's because you didn't go to Bible study last night, or whatever we come up with. And we're like, really? You had to beat me up now? No, they hit believers. This storm hit the disciples, and they had the physical Jesus in their boat. And it still hit them. I mean, seriously. Now, it also hit the other boats on the lake as well. We're told in other Gospels that there were other boats there. If this was a fairy tale, what we would read is the boat with Jesus in it just sail serenely on, and all the other boats would sink. And the message would be, you need Jesus in your boat, or to be in Jesus' boat, whichever way around it is. But this isn't a fairy tale. This is real life. And Christians are not magically exempted from life storms. We don't get a pass on that one. We get the trials. Just because you're with Jesus doesn't mean it's smooth sailing. But let's dig deep, a little bit deeper on this one. This storm didn't just hit believers, it hit obedient believers. These disciples were being obedient. They were serving Jesus. It was Jesus, remember, who led them into the storm. It was Jesus' idea, and they'd gone ahead. Out they were on the lake, because he said so. And part of me is rather cynical at this point. I go like, well, that's great then, isn't it? If I hadn't obeyed Jesus, I'd be on the shore, and it'd be nice and dry. But by obeying Jesus, I end up smack dab in the middle of troubles, and I'm going like, well, what's the gain? What's the gain in obedience? Isn't it better to be disobedient to Jesus? Well, you can answer that one. No, you don't. Okay, I hope you're going like, no, of course it's not. What do we do? We have to face the reality. Storms hit everybody. Storms hit believers. But who's our role model? Jesus, of course. He went through the biggest storm there ever was. He went to the heart of the greatest storm, the cross. And before that, he led the way by saying to his dad, not my will be done, but yours. I will be obedient. I will go to that cross. He's the most faithful person who's walked the planet, and he stays the course in the middle of it all. Now, again, I, put my, I try to put myself in the boat with these guys. One of the benefits of having a name like Peter is that there was a guy called Peter there. You know, I can say, maybe I'm in his shoes. And, you know, it's one thing for the Lord to lead them deliberately into that storm. But isn't it somewhat puzzling that he then appears to check out right in the heart of it? This is the only time in the Bible we actually read of Jesus asleep. I know he slept pretty well every day. He's fully human. He's clearly exhausted. He's had extensive ministry. But remember I said at the beginning the two key things, will the Father protect, will the Father provide? The key thing here is that Jesus is just fully confident in his Father's protection. He's so confident, even though he knows the storm is coming, he says, I can sleep through it. I can sleep through the storm until he gets woken up by his unfaithful disciples. But what time to fall asleep? I mean, don't you think it would be better if you were on the boat and it was all going, sort of going down and messy? Wouldn't it be better if Pastor Eddie woke up 
and was there and joined in and encouraged you and, and helped out pulling the ropes or blowing the oars, whatever you have to do in these things, and said, come on, guys, we can make it through if we stand together. You go like, yeah, yeah, the, the storm's difficult, but Pastor Eddie's here, we can get through it. But just when they needed Jesus, where was he? He was zonked out of the back of the boat. He was like, he'd gone. I suspect all of us have felt that way at some point with Jesus. All of us have been there in the middle of a trial when you don't know which way to go and it's not great and you, you're calling out or you're wondering and it feels like Jesus has gone AWOL. He's like, where is he? Have you ever prayed and it's felt like the prayers just bounce off the ceiling? If you haven't, I don't know what you've been doing because in my world, that's happened. What's going on here? It feels like you're bailing out the water like it's going out of fashion and all it does is more water comes in and you're going to go under and you're wondering, where are you? Have you been there? I bet you haven't. Some of you are there right now. The encouraging thing is Jesus was there with them in that storm. He was enduring it with them. He hadn't left and swum ashore and said, good luck team. It might appear that he wasn't interested, but he was there. We hold on to the promises of the Bible. Hebrews 13 verse 8, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not going to change. And three verses earlier, Hebrews 13 verse 5, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. That's the unchanging Jesus won't leave us or forsake us. Now, sometimes it feels that he waits till the end, doesn't he? We're at our wits' end. We've got to the end of the rope and we've tied a knot and we're holding on and it's white knuckle brigade and we're going like, I don't know. But no matter what, he's always with us. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. So the first thing we do when we hit those storms is to affirm Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord over storms, over everything else, and that he is with me. And the best way I know to do that, and believe me, I do this, is to affirm that he is a covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God. You can't break your promises. You can't break your covenants. You are faithful to me. Now, the next step, of course, in this is, well, given all that, and given the fact that the disciples were, were going under and Jesus didn't seem to be involved, uh, it was it's rather strange that Jesus then rebukes them for their lack of faith. Do you remember that part? He says, where's your faith? He rebukes them. Storms have a habit of exposing things, not least our lack of trust in the Lord. That's what happens. And that's why Jesus challenges them that question. Here's a, another truth, a salient one. Faith is not faith until it's tested. Okay, until your faith is tested, all your claimed faith is his words. It needs to be tested, doesn't it? When you come under the test, then you find out, do I believe or do I not believe? Is the Lord there or not there? But until then, you can have lots of great claims. Everyone goes through testing, Jesus included. When, it's, when the storm is calm, easy. 
when the storm hits you, well, the storm is calm, when the water's calm, when the storm hits you, that's when you find out, am I trusting in him or was I trusting in my own resources all along? Anyone, um, anyone watch that sitcom Seinfeld or is it all, was that too many years before most of you were born? Anyone seen Seinfeld? It's a wonderful, it's funny, it's a show about nothing, that's the whole point about it. George, it's got to be one of my favorite characters there. And George is, because uh, he always looks after number one. Uh, and George is at a children's birthday party, and he sees smoke. So he goes, fire! Which is probably not a bad thing to do, I suppose. The next bit is funny, because he just pushes every kid out of the way, so he's the first one out of the house. And that tends to be what we are like. Me first. I could be, you know, I get a virtue signal to you until the cows come home. But when something is, uh, it's me first. All right? When the disciples said, Master, Master, we are perishing, I know they said the word we, but I'm not too sure that Jesus was their number one concern. We're going down. We're fearing for our lives. It's every man for himself. Storms reveal that we're self-centered. It's one of the things that will come up. It can become all about me. I want my pity party. I want to, to take the attention and another sign of a storm is that you have a distorted view of yourself. It's all about me. It really is. It's not just the pity party. Um, when that happens, we need to hit pause. We need to get the big picture. Because ultimately, they're revealing our distorted view of Jesus. Look what the disciples respond after this. They go, who is this? Who is this? The biggest problem the disciples had before this storm was they did not know who Jesus was. They thought they did, but they didn't. And so they were amazed when Jesus calmed the storm. They had him as a good guy, as a great prophet, as a bit of a miracle worker, but they did not have him as the Lord God Almighty. It's quite clear. Do you remember there's a passage in Scripture, it happens in the very first chapter of the Bible, about creation. And you remember God said something like, let there be light. And you know what happened? There was light. God says, let there be, and there is. The same God who said, let there be light, is the same God who said, let us go over to the other side of the lake. It's almost a deliberate echo. When Jesus says, we're going over to the other side of the lake. When he says, let us go over there, they're going to the other side of the lake. That's a non-negotiable. The question is, how are you going to get there, guys? Above the water, on the water, under the water, deep through the water. To Jesus, I'm so confident in the Father, I can sleep through this. For the disciples, it was like, do we trust God at all? We're in a storm. He's asleep. Where's your faith? They underestimated Jesus. We do the same thing. We panic in the crisis. Try and solve it ourselves. Are you trusting in the Lord? Or are you really trusting in your bank balance? Are you trusting in your health? Maybe I was those few weeks ago in September. Everything been going great. Are you trusting in the government? News for you. Are you trusting in your job? Are you trusting in the number of likes you got on Instagram? 
If you put your trust in anywhere other than Jesus, then your God is too small. And not only that, you will be found out. How big is your God? I follow the Almighty God, the Most High God, the greatest God. If I was on that boat, though, I think I'd be tempted as a disciple to say, but I was trusting you, Jesus. That's why I woke you up. I mean, isn't that a reasonable response? We woke you up, Jesus. We went to you. But clearly that wasn't faith, and we know it wasn't faith because Jesus says, where is your faith? So you can't have it both ways. You can't have the disciples having faith and Jesus saying, you've got no faith. So they woke him up, but there wasn't faith there. What they needed was to trust him at that time. The Bible talks about three types of faith. I just want to touch this because it's confusing, isn't it? What is faith? The, The first type of faith is believing faith. That's the faith we all need to accept Jesus Christ as Lord. And that faith is given to us. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. It's by grace and through faith. And that faith is given so that no one can boast. No one come along and say, hey, I got into the kingdom and I followed Jesus because of my great faith. All right? Plus, other people come to me and they say, if only I had your faith. I go, you can't have it. It's mine. Get your own. Okay? The faith is given to us. No one can boast. That's the first type of faith. The second type of faith is, is what we call uh, miraculous faith, faith for miracles, supernatural, amazing faith. You read about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Again, it's a gift. It's a spiritual gift. In the same chapter, we read the Holy Spirit gives those gifts to those who he determines to receive them. In other words, again, you don't boast, I've got this amazing gift. You got it because you, you're a recipient, not because you deserved it. But the third type of faith, day-to-day faith, when we choose to believe every day in the promises of our good and holy God, Jesus told us that faith needs to be the size of a mustard seed. Well, it doesn't need to be, but it can only be. It can be that size. This is the faith Jesus is referring to in this passage. Where is your, at very least, mustard seed faith? A mustard seed, if you didn't know, it's one of the smallest seeds you, you can find. Now, I want you to notice, because this really encourages me when I look at this passage, that Jesus did not ask them, how big is your faith? He didn't ask that question. Why not? Because he's not the slightest bit interested in the amount of faith you have. He really isn't. The question he wants to know is, where or in whom Are you placing your faith? That's the question. Where do you place your faith? Put a mustard seed of faith in the faithful one. That's all you need. You might be familiar with Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Remember that verse? In that verse, faith is a four-letter word. I know I'm dyslexic in English, but I actually said that. A four-letter word. It's spelt S-U-R-E. Sure. Faith is being sure. That's what it means to be sure. I put my faith in the faithful one, and I'm sure that the promise-keeping, covenant-keeping God 
will protect me and provide for me in the storms of life, in the trials that I face, in the setbacks and the sufferings that are on the way or I'm in at the moment. That's faith. Just an aside, and I was studying this week a completely different passage for another church I'm preaching at. Uh, I noticed that in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus only commends two people for having great faith. A, A centurion and a Canaanite mother. Neither of them are Jews. Isn't that interesting? Only two people commended, neither of them are Jews. What that means to me, and this is why I get the encouragement, is that having great faith is actually very unusual. It's, and our loving Father knows that. You go, like, really? It's unusual? Yes, it is. Only two people. It also means that there's great value in having weak faith. You heard me correctly. There is great value in weak faith. At this point, I would have expected a hallelujah. I mean, seriously, because I'm in that camp. You mean there's great value in that? Yes, there is. There really is. Because Jesus hears our cries. The mustard seed of faith is enough to move his mighty arm. He will hear. He will answer. Now, faith in the Lord is not an automatic thing. You have to choose to exercise faith. It's it's like a muscle. If you don't use it, the muscle atrophies. If you do, you get stronger. For me, what I do is I I remind myself of other times when God has been faithful to me. And if I can't think of anything at that moment, I open up the Bible and read how he's been faithful to other people in the Scriptures in far worse positions. And then I pray a prayer that by now you're familiar with. Father, I place my confidence in you because you are a promise-keeping, covenant-keeping Father. And I'm your adopted child. I'm your responsibility. You're going to look after me because you adopted me. That means you're responsible for me, Dad. And I'm going to trust you in that. Let's go back to that crucial question that the disciples asked. Who is this? Who is this? Who is this Jesus? I mean, clearly he's human. He had a body, he got exhausted, he fell asleep. But but not only is he human, he's fully divine, isn't he? He's fully divine. He simply spoke, and the winds ceased, and the waves stopped. Now, here out of my league, is anyone here a physicist or covered physics or anything like that clever? because you can correct me on this one, and if not, we'll all assume I'm right. But as far as I know, it is possible for winds to just stop like that. That that happens. But waves, it should not be possible for that to happen, because of something called kinetic energy. Energy is stored up in those waves. That's why even when the winds have stopped, the waves keep on moving. We read the waves stopped. That in particular is what freaked out the disciples. Whoa! They know they've been on this lake. It's a very powerful thing. Jesus, in his deity, encourages us because he understands what it's like to be in the storm. He has the authority. He suffered with us. And so we learn from this that that nothing is too difficult for the living God. 
Whatever you are going through right now, and I don't know what it is, and some of you it could be horrific, it's not too great. Because not a breath of wind, not a drop of water can defy him. Now, the better we know him, the more we can trust in him. If you trust him now, you'll be strengthened for your next trial. I think it's interesting that the wind and the wave, they've got no choice. They have to obey Jesus. He's the creator. We have been given free will, haven't we? We can choose to disobey. And if you knew me and my life, you'll know that all too often, that is what I have foolishly done. I've disobeyed. That's pathetic to have to admit it, but it's true. Notice what happened with the disciples. First they feared the storm, then they feared the Lord. Talk about a change of perspective. The fear of the storm was due to their lack of faith. The fear of the Lord stemmed from their new awareness of his awesome power. Okay. I was going to finish there because I was sort of not really going to preach this passage anyway. But I realized that, that there's a huge elephant in the room when we deal with this topic. And some of you know this elephant because some of you have been waiting for me to talk about it. Uh, we've got to talk about the elephant in the room. And you're going, some of you are going, oh, what's he talking about? The elephant is this. What happens when Jesus doesn't still the storm? Come on, that's the real one, isn't it? What happens when the boat sinks, even when you're trusting Jesus? We've got to address that, haven't we? We can't be frightened of these things. It's great to read this story. It's a happy ever after story. But in real life, boats sink. John the Baptist was not delivered from prison. He lost his head. Jesus endured the cross. Stephen was stoned to death. What happens, guys? For me, I have a tendency to begin to doubt, to question. I'm sure I'm not the only one. And then, then I feel bad about that. Is there any room for questioning? Is there any room for uncertainty? Shouldn't I be solid? I'm a pastor, for goodness sake. I'm a leader. Is there room for doubt? What about the father of the epileptic boy? Do you remember him? He goes to Jesus. He confesses. He says, Lord, I believe. That, that's faith. Help my lack of belief. That's doubt. And the good news is Jesus healed his son. Doubt is, is real. Every Christian has doubts. Did you know that? I want to say that just in case you all think, I've got doubts. Does that mean I'm not a Christian? Every Christian has doubts. They can be very tough, very real. That's okay. It's normal. And if you address those doubts wisely, they're a catalyst to your growth. Now, many people mistakenly think that doubt is the opposite of faith. It isn't. Unbelief is the opposite of faith. And unbelief is a killer. It's an absolute killer. In his hometown, Jesus went to his hometown, the Son of God, filled with the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, and he could only do a few miracles in his hometown because of their lack of faith. 
So unbelief is the willful refusal to believe. Doubt is an inner uncertainty. There's a huge difference between the two. Have you, if you've uh, ever wondered why there's a silent B in the word doubt, is that just crazy English spelling? Well, the root of the word doubt is in the word double. That's its root. It means to be in two minds about something. You're in the middle ground between what you know is true, this I know is true, I've placed my faith in it, and what you know is false, I've rejected that, but you're in this issue and you're trying to work it through, I'm not sure, is it true, is it not true, what do I do? It's doubt, you're in the middle of the two places. And struggling with that is a good thing. Read the Psalms. They're always struggling with God, they're always questioning God. Jesus will not rebuke you if you're doubting as long as you're desiring to build your faith. He's a big God. He runs the universe without my help. Your doubts won't upset him. Tell him your doubts. Cry out for help. Struggling with God is a sure sign that you have faith. In fact, if you never struggle, you'll never grow. The key is to believe your beliefs and to doubt your doubts. Get that crossed over and you start believing your doubts and doubting your beliefs, and you're in trouble. That's when everything begins to crumble around you. But when that boat sinks, because what should we do? I've said all that, you can have doubts, but what do we do when the boat sinks? This might not go down very well with some of you, but this is what we do. We keep trusting in the Lord Jesus even as we go under. That's what we do. When that boat goes down, we stay worshipping the Lord. We fix our eyes on Jesus. We join Paul and Silas as they sat in prison, praising God. That's what we do, because we still trust him. But you can only do that if you've invested in your relationship with him. If you've discovered that he is this promise-keeping, covenant-keeping God. If you're able to stand with Paul and say, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And so as I close, my challenge to you is this. Do you know Jesus that way? Do you have that sort of relationship with Jesus where even when the boat goes down, you're going to fix your thoughts on him and say, I'll praise you because you are Lord. If you do, don't take that for granted. The enemy will try and chip away at it, stay strong, keep walking with him. But if you don't, seek him now. Don't wait until a storm comes. You don't have a foundation. Your your house will, will be blown down. Trust him now as your Lord and your Savior, your friend, your brother, your only hope for heaven. And then when the hurricane hits, whether he instantly calms it or whether your boat sinks, you can know the peace that the world can't know, that true deep peace, the peace of God that passes all understanding. The Lord God, Lord of the storms, is for you. Amen. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the promise that no matter what happens, Nothing can ever snatch us out of your hand or separate us from your love. 
We're so grateful. Lord Jesus, thank you for being Emmanuel, God with us. As we keep our thoughts and our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith, we invite you to be the Lord of every aspect of our lives. Holy Spirit, thank you for growing within us the spiritual fruit of peace. May we know this shalom in the midst of every storm. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. Staying awake-ish. All right, uh, before uh, we end today, I'm going to ask if uh, Songbae can uh, play for us a little bit. And um, it's our second Sunday of the month, and so uh, we do our communion together. So uh, I think we have, a, uh, we have Caleb and uh, Victoria going around uh, giving out the communion elements. For those of you who are online and we want to encourage you, please go and uh, also prepare your communion, uh, communion elements as well as we go through our communion together. lead us um, in a time of prayer if you'll bow your heads and as we reflect on the message that uh, we've been given today uh, through Pastor Peter it's a difficult thing to see faith when storms hit and to know what to do with it when storms hit on the night that he was betrayed Jesus gathered his disciples because a storm was about to come a concept that they did not understand why does the creator God have to give his life and seemingly fall at the hands of men the people that he created in preparation for the storm Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he said this is my body which is broken for you take eat and remember me the challenge that Jesus gives us right before we go into our storms whether we are in our storms is he says remember this I've given myself fully over to you. My body will break so that yours can be healed. That's the promise. So brothers and sisters, before we take this bread together, this wafer together, I want to lead us into a time of repentance. Saying, Lord, help me to lay down my doubts. Help me to lay down my anger, my frustrations. Help me to lay down my stubbornness, my pride. Help me to lay down my greed. Help me to lay down all of these things that keep me from you, to keep me from trusting you. So brothers and sisters, let's just use this moment to lay down our unbelief and our struggles. Let's repent together. Let's pray.
Father, I thank you so much that you gave your son so his body could be broken in exchange for ours to be healed. So, brothers and sisters, at this time, as we take the bread together, let's remember that, that Jesus offers us his body so that ours can be healed. Let's take the bread together. In the same way, Jesus took the cup of the covenant and said, This is my blood, which has been poured out for you. Take, drink, and remember me. We're reminded that as Jesus was about to be crucified, that the blood that was poured out, it represented two things. Number one, it represented his blood would cleanse us. It would heal us. And number two, his blood represents this blessing that he wants to bring into our life, a blessing of a restored relationship with him. So as we drink this, let's remember, that's the promise. That's the gift that Jesus gives us, a healing and a blessing. So brothers and sisters, let's take this cup in faith as a symbol of this promise that we take in into ourselves. Let's, pray to, uh, let's take it together. Father, as we take in this uh, wafer together and this, um, and this drink together, as we ingested it into our lives, into our bodies, in that same way, Holy Spirit, will this be more than just a physical thing? May it be more than just a symbolic thing? Will you come into our lives, Holy Spirit, to assure us, to remind us of your promises, to lead us in the way that we need to go. I thank you for the love that you have for us. I pray, Father Lord, each one of us, will you bring the healing that we need, the restoration that we need, and remind us again your love for us so we can trust you more and more. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you both now and forever. Amen.